This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. All right, welcome back to Fans on the Run, the world's best Beatles podcast, according to me, which is, at this point, a fairly reputable source. Don't quote me on that. That I think if you can take one thing away from this show, it's just not to quote me on anything. Because 90% of the time, it's not true. We we have a fantastic guest for you today. Uh, I'll break the fourth wall. I've tried recording this intro about three times so far. And I keep delving into some weird tangent. So I, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase. Our guest today is the co-host of Talk More Talk, a solo Beatles video cast. He is neither one of the Kens, Kit, or Tom, so that narrows it down a bit. And he is one of the most prolific members of the YouTube vinyl community. His name is a mix of a song from Abbey Road and a condiment. Which, actually, that song title already has a condiment in it. I mean, whatever works. Joe Mayo, me and Mr. Mayo, welcome to the show again. I'm saying welcome as if we haven't done this. Yes, thank well, thank you very much, Ethan. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to some fun and games and some exciting discussion. Possibly. I need to have games. I need to start doing games on this show. <laughs> I, I could be the new Alex Trebek. We're both Canadian. It'll, it'll, you know, where do you see yourself in 80 years? How old is he? He's, oh, yeah, he's, I think he's in his 80s. I do. 80s? I think, he, I thought I heard he was in his 90s. Oh, no. I don't I don't know. I, I'll have to fact check that as soon as we get done with the interview. Again, don't fact check me on anything. Because <laughs> none of it's true. My real name isn't even Ethan Alexanian. No, I'm kidding. You'd, th- you'd think if I was making up a name, I would think of one cooler than Alexanian. Or at least I'd oh, be able, I'd at least pick one that people can pronounce. It, wait, I was gonna say once you get it down, it's a really cool name to pronounce. Once you get it down, it's one of those cool names like Hunyadi, for example. Yeah. And the last interview I did, we talked about the same thing. I think we were talking about uh, Tom Hunyadi's name and how to pronounce it. Yeah, his it's interesting. Again, I love his name because it sounds like a really cool sound effect from a 1970s kung fu movie. Oh, yeah. Hanyadi! Good one. Good one. You don't have to lie. Oh, it was a good one. (laughs) So how are you doing today? Uh, Doing well. Uh, I was, uh, I worked kind of hard today. It's nighttime and I'm kind of bushed, but yet I'm trying to come across as very much excited and uh, well-spoken and uh, full of life. You will come across as well-spoken because you're talking with me. And I, I think mm-hmm. whatever the polar opposite of well-spoken is, is me. I will I will make you look very good. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll make you look very good. Oh, thanks. E- even trade. Yeah, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. So I'm, I want to jump right back to the beginning. Okay. The Big Bang. No. The Joe, when did you first discover the Beatles? Okay, uh, I first discovered the Beatles, I would say, when I was about three years old. Now, I was born in 1962, so that would be 65. I don't remember anything about them being on the Ed Sullivan show. I wasn't quite two years old yet. But 
my mom always tells me about how I was thrilled with songs like She Loves You, Yeah, 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 and Help. In fact, I have a baby book, you know, that yeah. uh, parents sometimes kept. And in that baby book, it says favorite songs, uh, She Loves You, Yeah, 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 Help, or any Beatles song. You love them at three. So that's 65. And I have very clear memories of having some Beatle 45s with the picture sleeves at that young age. And you had good my real taste initiation. for a 36 month year old. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I could actually see it in my mind's eye. You know, I always say my memories are very clear from the distant past. What I did a minute or two ago, not so clear. Yeah. But uh, I, I really went on to watch them. Probably my education started with the cartoon series that was originally on and as any little kid would and uh, I, I could really see that I could see the apartment we lived in the television I, I will admit show. when I started the show I wasn't expecting how prevalent that answer would be discovering them through the Beatles cartoon but mm. it's a, it's a lot more common than I thought it was because oh, really other guests have, have said the same uh well your co-host Ken Womack he he discovered the Beatles by accident because what what the hell was the name of that show? The new Zoo Review got canceled, and so the I remember so that. the Beatles went into reruns in that spot. Oh, new Zoo Review coming right at you! Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, and um, I was really hooked on them. I was they absolutely thrilled me. They were exciting the way they looked, the way they uh, sang, the music. Uh, it's funny because I always considered myself a second generation fan. I say that because I pretty much, I grew up in the seventies, really, let's face it. And that's when I became a collector and really followed them through. But someone, an older fan once told me a few years ago, stop calling yourself a second generation fan. You're a first generation. fan." It doesn't matter to me, Ethan. A lot of people seem to think, and I've talked to, oh, this guy wants to be a first generationer. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I don't care if I'm third or fourth. It is what it is. I don't even know I, what I, the hell yeah. generation I am. Yeah. Oh, you gotta be. You have to be. Uh, Might even removed. be double digits at this point. Double digits, right? But it does. It's not that important because I mean, some people think, well, you're, you're a first generation fan if you saw them on Ed Sullivan, you know, which I did not. But it's not that big a deal. Uh, I, I, I'm happy to be a second generation fan, but technically, because I like them. When they were around, I knew of them. I liked them. I had the records. I watched the show. I was feel crazy at a very young age. I guess kind of first generation works. I, I want to ask you, since you're, let, let's say, first and a half generation. I, I've, okay, I've heard that good. term thrown around. Uh, do you have any memories of, you know, apart from the cartoon and listening to She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Do you remember any of the significant points of the 60s of the Beatles like now that's an interesting question I was I was going to save it for a video that I never get around to making but I'll tell you here I'll give you the scoop uh, you're, on, on you're hearing it her, here first folks <laughs> yes yeah first world exclusive well, of... <laughs> Mayo tells all <laughs> Mayo tells all right here folks so pull up, pull up your chair get a drink and here it is it'll make your day right mm -hmm. no um I would say that I have a memory of Magical Mystery Tour, the record, when it was a new record. I just remember having, 
an, an older relative of a girl who played it for all us kids. And it was, I remember her singing along, Baby, You're a Rich Man, and Penny Lane, all the songs, and she was singing them, she knew the words, and it was a very exciting moment. But probably the one, the only real vivid moment as far as the Beatles themselves when they were, were doing it in the 60s was, I'm going to say I was about six years old. I was sleeping, and my mom woke me up. She said, come on downstairs. I wanted to wake you up. The, the Beatles are on TV. You know, it was live or whatever. It wasn't live. But, you know, but they're on TV every Saturday morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, this was different. Yeah. This was this was the real flesh and blood Beatles. Was it, and uh, it, was, was it, it wasn't live. that Hey Jude revolution? What was it, Smothers Brothers? Oh, I had mentioned this in maybe a live chat or something. You might remember me mentioning this, perhaps. Yeah, it was uh, the Smothers Brothers where they were doing Hey Jude, and it was the footage of them you know, being surrounded by the audience. And I went downstairs, and you know, I, I said recently in a live chat that I had that I think the Hey Jude single, we had the Hey Jude single, and I think that's the only song that I remember liking and having on a 45 when it was a new record, mm -hmm. you know, when they were doing it, really. Well, no, I said, aside from the ones I was bought as a child, I, you know, I, a few years earlier, which I mentioned to you, I had a few when I was like three, four yeah. years old. But now I'm six, you see, so it's oh, so much older. <laughs> but we so had much wiser. And, and uh, wiser for my young years. And I knew the song because it was a hit song. But anyway, I, I, when I went down to the TV, here they were. And what was this? Um, you had John Lennon. Was it John with glasses and long hair? And, you know, you got... Yeah, you know, I think Ringo with a mustache, and it kind of freaked me out. La and last I, I saw him, John was in a walrus costume. So, <laughs> the walrus costume, yeah. right? Yeah. So that was my reaction. I remember being horrified. Um, it, this this wasn't my Beatles. These weren't the guys that I know and watched on you know, TV. And, I mean, I, and shortly thereafter, I recall the the old apartment we had lived in at that point the last days we were there before we moved on somewhere else we had uh, a couple of beetle fan relatives of girls who brought over what i now know to be the white album photos mm -hmm. and i hung them up in my room as a six-year-old and it, again it was you know paul would like you know five o'clock shadow or worse and it these weren't the beatles you know <laughs> but there were these weird put, guys with like yeah. mustaches yes exactly you know freaked me out a little bit if i if i had I, I tend not to like things change too much i i sometimes wonder if i had been like 15 16 17 then would i have liked the later beatles i don't i wonder sometimes well uh, that's that's another thing i've also heard kind of talking to people that some of some of these people who didn't like the change they just kind of switched to you know, the monkeys, Paul Revere and the Raiders, whatever else, mm -hmm. the young rascals. Yes. And all great. Then bands. there were some there were some people who did who actually didn't really think much of them until the later change. Mm -hmm. They became fans with Rubber Soul and Revolver and Sgt. Pepper and so on. Then they became fans, but otherwise they had just thought of them as uh, you know, a girly thing for little girls and stuff like that. I want to ask, what was the first Beatle record you remember getting on your own? 
Oh boy, that's a, that's always a tough one to answer because now, I mean, I know now everything that I buy and I can tell you, but I wasn't that, I guess, anal back then. Yeah. I was like remembering every detail. But the whole thing was after my 1960s childhood, I forgot about the Beatles for a while. You forgot yeah, about so the Beatles? We, yeah. I mean, I was big on them, you know, as I say, 65, you know, 66, the cartoons and everything. And I had some records that, I didn't buy it, but I had Meet the Beatles. I had the Beatles' second album. I had I had the Nowhere Man 45. I had uh, Day Tripper, We Can Work It Out. I remember having those all those records. But then I forgot about them. But I remember around, I'm going to say 1974 or so. Now I'm like 12 years old. Uh, a kid who lived across the street, a, a friend of mine, we were at his place and he had these albums. And I said, oh, I remember those when I was a little kid. <laughs> A little kid, that's what a 12 year old says. When I was a little kid, I remember these songs, yeah. So that's when I really got back into it. And I, I asked my mom for a full set of Capital at the time, a Beatle Records for Christmas around 75, 1975 or so. And she got them for me, and including, of course, the United Artists Hard Days Night soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And as we get to trying to answer your question. I know that I didn't really go when I say she got all the albums. Let me let me say officially, up till about Rubber Soul, I should say she, I didn't go much beyond that. So the first records I remember buying is stuff like Magical Mystery Tour for myself in '76. Uh, I remember buying Let It Be around '76. Here, here's a here's an interesting question because now. Your, you know, record collector extraordinaire. Do you remember what pressings those were? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I, well, I remember the ones I bought or the ones that she got. She got the ones she got were mostly Apple, mm-hmm. the Apple. Uh, but well, if it was around seventy two, three, four. Yeah, but the ones that she got me in seventy five, most of them were Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the you know, capital stuff. Um, I remember that when I bought my Magical Mystery Tour, it was the Orange yeah. Orange Capital. Which I, I and, find uh, looks a little ugly nowadays. Yeah, these days that's not not my preferred <laughs> label. As a matter of fact, it's probably just nostalgia, if anything, why I would like it. But I remember my first White Album that I bought myself uh, also, I think that was 77, 1977, was also Orange, Capital Orange. And it's funny how that works, that there's a, a kind of nostalgia that makes you feel all that warm and fuzzy feeling, you know? Yeah. Even though it's not the best-looking label, for sure. Well, but, I, I remember the first copy of Abbey Road I got was this 1995 pressing with a weird-looking Apple label with a white background, which, again, looks extremely ugly, but I have extreme nostalgia for that. Right, so you, you know what I mean. I know yeah. exactly I what rem- you mean. Don't, do not remember that label, but it's interesting that I, during the, the, this bunch of records that I got around, this, you know, mid-70-ish time, one of them that I did come across for yesterday and today was the Capital Lime Green. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, that was really cool. And I had, that was the, the, the first copy I got of that was on like, Lime Green. And that's now kind of rare. Those are rare, those... Uh, and highly desirable ones. It's funny you say that. That's even though I love that label, 
that's actually one of the only ones I have is yesterday and today. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Although it's Canadian, not American. It's Canadian, yes. Yeah. I gotta remember that. I, I keep reminding everyone that I'm Canadian every five minutes in case. I for, I, I forgot. Well, sometimes I, I don't bring it up and then I'm, you know, sometimes I chat with my guests afterwards and I say something about, uh, you know, I, I apologize or something. I'm like, God, I really am Canadian, aren't I? And they're like, you know what? I thought you sounded like you were from Minnesota or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. So at what point uh, did you go from just buying the records to listen to them to buying as a collector? Well, probably uh, uh, around 76. I also know that one of the first things I remember buying with my own money was the often maligned in my opinion, rock and roll music compilation, which I love. I bought that when I was 14. And of course, there's nostalgia and there's all that, but... Now, wait, let's, that was let's really clarify for a moment. Do you love the track listing or do you love the cover? Everybody listening? Both. What? Both. Yes, I've even done a video, I think, on it because here's my feel of it. First of all, I do love the photo on there. The photo, Forget about the thumb. There's those two ridiculous thumbs on that I don't like, but the photo itself, like we're not getting to the to the uh, text yet, but the photo I think is beautiful. Well, that photo was on the them. Beatles' second album, wasn't it? Uh, but uh, not didn't look like that. Yeah, nice and colorful like that. Uh, I really like that with the silver, you know, the silver background. Mm -hmm. And then the rock and roll music, of course, we know the letters do not fit Beatles really. They look like. The Fifties. Look, it no, looks like American uh, Graffiti or Happy Days. Yes, or American Graffiti. They probably were trying to capitalize on that because there was a wave of nostalgia for the fifties back then, which you know there was Shanana, American Graffiti, Happy Days, and all that Laverne and Shirley, all that kind of stuff. But you know, uh, Ethan, how I've come to—I don't know—excuse that in my mind and reason it out. How's that? Uh, let's, let's let's see if I can make it clear. It's true that that's not really the Beatles era, but it is rock and roll music era, if you know what I mean. So it's like if you were going to make something that said, I don't know, the Beatles uh, space spaced out songs, you might have a logo that looked like Star Trek logo or something spacey. Yeah. You know, it's we're doing rock and roll music, rock and roll. These are these are what is rock and roll? French fries, Coke. Yeah. Uh, those big cars. So that's like. Beatles rock and roll music, not so much to say that they had that that era themselves. No, I, I get what you mean, because it's all it's yeah. kind of like the era of their influences Sim and a lot of Symbolism, the stuff they cover like, on that album. Yeah, that's true. And it symbolizes what rock and roll means, like typical symbols and logos and images that we associate with, quote, rock and roll music. Because we all know the first thing everyone associates with rock and roll is Coca-Cola. Of right. course. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I want to ask, what is the first significant record that you bought in terms of collectability? Something that you remember right, getting and yeah. thinking like, oh, this is special. Well, when you try to remember these things, you, you see, gee, I hope it's in, it's in the right sequence, but one of the first things I remember was there was a flea market by where I lived at the time in Queens, in New York. Mm -hmm. And 
it was a racetrack. It was the Aqueduct racetrack. And they converted it over to a flea market every Sunday. And I went there and in in, in this that period of seventy six ish, something like that, seventy seven ish. I remember getting five nights in a judo arena, the live in Japan. Oh wow! Uh, bootleg album, you know, <laughs> and along with that was uh, my first "Let It Be." One of my, I don't know if it was the first or it probably was the one I got first. One I got it was called "Come Back." Okay. K U M back. There's so many variations of that. Yeah, but that and, that's uh, the first I think. That's um, was it the one, the one with I got just the plain white cover and the stamp. It, it had, it, you know, it had a one of those mimeograph uh, kind of things oh, yeah. with a a blue a blue like or photocopy yeah. image of the Beatles. I think there's a famous one when I think they're sitting on the grass. It says don't sit on the grass, and they're sitting on the grass. Looks like a picture. Maybe. That that's one of the things I really love about those old nineteen seventies bootlegs is I feel like those those covers that you described have a lot of charm to them, even though yeah. they look like shit. <laughs> yeah, now there's no again with nostalgia, you know. There's not much reason to own a lot of that stuff as far as for the, the material because a lot of it you can get better or some of it's come out even you know BBC stuff and stuff like that. It's but, some of those old bootlegs have so much charm that it it doesn't matter if there's a need to have them, because right yeah there there's a particular bootleg you you know about it I it's one of my prized possessions, one called the Beatles versus the Third Reich. Yes, yes, it's about that before, yeah. I I was I've never been so excited to see a record at a record shop before. Like, I don't care if I could see, like, a butcher cover. I walked in, and that was in the bin, and I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah. I was actually in, well, I say your neck of the woods in kind of general. I was in New York when I found this. Ah, there you go. Yeah. I, I, I have another memory, of early memory of, of getting an exciting album. I used to go to, in the summer once in a while, it would be, what is it called? I guess you'd call it the Jersey Shores, uh, you know, something like that. And you'd have a boardwalk with a lot of games, spin the wheel, and do this, do that. And this was 19, I want to say 78, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And in 1978, I, I put down a quarter or so, did the spinning wheel, and I won the number, got the number, my number came up. And they had a whole bunch of albums they used to hang Vinyl albums up there that you can pick which one you want. I got I got Paul McCartney Wings London Town too at that at that point. But the one that I really remember in this instance when I won choosing was Sweet Apple Tracks. Oh, wow. which is uh, one of, one of the early bootleg. They actually had that. The fact that they would actually have a bootleg album there, you know, hanging up there, and I remember that i picked that one and that was my first copy of that one so that was exciting to get that you, know, you thought wow this is so great this is stuff you're not supposed to be listening to i'm not supposed to be hearing this you know and we, yet we're able to listen to it Ooh, you know? kind of on that same general theme i want to ask what is your favorite beetle bootleg my f favorite beetle bootleg um it's hard to say but um, i'll try to make it easy i, I gotta say after thinking about it Probably around 1987-ish when I went to 
a store in Manhattan that's no longer there. I don't think it's called uh, Revolver Records, and uh, it's really good good place. A lot of people know that Greenwich Village, <laughs> and they had. I think it was called. Oh, there's different titles since then. Ultra rare oh, tracks. Yeah. There's so many titles for that now. Unsurpassed um, masters, or yeah, I think ultra rare tracks was the first, and then it, it became unsurpassed masters. But here were these volumes, and you know, you here you are a, a collector from number of years, and you you've heard it all, and you get there and you see the track listing on the back. Can't buy me love, take whatever and songs you didn't usually come across. You know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of versions of misery. Take uh, two to six or something, and help and day trip. I'm saying something's not right here because this, I've never heard of this stuff. This has to be new stuff. But what, what's it going to be? What's it going to sound like? You know? And then when I put it on, I was blown away. As I think as we all were, because it was right on <laughs> master tapes, right yeah. off the masters. I mean, it was, the the great Abbey Road like leak of the late '80s. Yes, yeah, the Abbey Road leak, right and. <laughs> It sounded so much better, I thought at the time, even than some of the release stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I, don't, I, I really liked it, and oh my god, that's one of the best. But you know, that that would have to be my number one. Of course, there were other things that I'll just mention that excited me at the time. One of them was a BBC collection with a green professional kind of cover called Broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I know really the one you speak of. Quality. Uh, yeah, it was the. I think the cover was... Didn't it also have a picture of the Beatles from... What was it? Some TV appearance. like I think it, the it, I think it was to the ride. Ticket to Ride yeah. Uh, thing, yeah. And it was really... Like, at the time, you know, you had no more mimeograph copy sheets on there. Now you were getting more... Around a 1980 release, I think, around there. Well, and it was this really slick cover, and it was a normal-looking cover. You know, Once you got to the 80s, the, the line really blurred between official and unofficial in terms of quality because mm-hmm. he had at the at the very start i think it was even the late 70s that uh fake capital album collector's items that predated rarities by i think maybe you know nine or ten months mm-hmm. and then all those you know live at the beeb or the beatles at the beeb stuff yeah the beatles at the beeb that particular series of uh, 13 volumes of that, that was more of a later 80s. Yeah. Which I thing. I am very envious of you because I think you got them all in one swoop at the Princeton yeah. Record Exchange, if I remember correctly. Yes, I did a video. Anybody listening might want to check it out. I think it's called Major Beatles Hall at Princeton, New Jersey. If You, you got it. like, what, 50 records? Um, I might have been 52 or three to be exact, but the story of that, I love the story of that because this is what, you know, I don't know the exact year. I want to say 2016. Don't hold me to that. I'm not probably so sure, but that sounds about fairly, right. re- fairly recently. What had happened was uh, Marvin, who, who's Beatle Vinyl 85, my friend here on YouTube. Another one of the prolific yeah, what, vinyl community members. Yes, he's a big collector. He's got some great stuff. He uh, was he made, he sent me a, a little video. He said, uh, "Joe," he said, I, "I've been you know he was in town in New Jersey visiting." He said, "I went into this Princeton Record Exchange store, and there's like a collection came in here of like a thousand 
Beatles related records, you know, all kinds of imports, originals, bootlegs, all kinds of things. And he said, you got to check this out. So he put a little video up on his channel and I looked at it. And I was drooling because I wanted this stuff. Uh, so a lot of it I had in my original, as I referred to it, collection and, and which I'd sold off years ago. Now I was still trying to replace everything. And I'm 99.9% there. So the bottom line was I had to make a, a pilgrimage to this place and it was a considerable drive from where I lived. So, but I couldn't get the time to go there because I had to work. I couldn't get out of it and I wasn't going to be able to get there for nine days. I remember. So what was going to be left? That was the question. Everything's going to be cherry picked. You know, there's going to be nothing left. So finally I got the day off that I needed after nine days waiting. I went there, and luckily for me, most of what I was interested in were the bootlegs, for sheer nostalgia value, really, like we talked about. And lo and behold, nobody really bothered with those, which is not really strange when you think about it these days. But it was perfect for me. And yep, there they were, all the volumes of Beatles at the Beeb, which I used to have and have gotten rid of. And now I was able to get them all at one shot and they were cheap i mean nine ten dollars maybe oh you've got to be fucking kidding me they they were they were (laughs) really cheap now not too long before this i had been at a record show and a guy told me he has the whole collection remember record shows everyone yeah yeah i'm 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 hoping we get back to them well you know we just wear our, our masks yeah but just prior to the guy had, had I had met him at a show and he told me, I have that whole collection. I said, I'd like to get it back. He said, I could sell it to you for about 500 for 13 volumes. And I took his number. I wasn't, I said, look, I'll think about it. And I don't know if I really was ever going to do it. But then right after this, I got him for $10, $10, 12 maybe. I don't know, $9, $10, $12. Each. And they had more than one copy. He had multiple copies of these, whoever the collection was. I'd, doubles and triples oh. of these things. So I, I went to the Princeton Record Exchange, I think about a year after that, and guess how big their Beatles selection was? How big? Zilch. There was maybe oh one 1970s copy of the White Album. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And I was so crushed. Wow. Yeah. But... I could understand that was also why. the same trip where I got that Beatles versus the Third Reich, so it all yeah, it well, all made up for it. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm happy for you that it worked out. The only thing, the only regret there, I, I did pick up. I, I think 52, 53 records, something like that. Um, but there was one called "Very Together." Mm-hmm. Oh, you might know. Uh, yeah, right? the the one with the candles. Yes, I know you know your stuff. Well, it's. Uh, Oh, it's part of Very my <laughs> Canadian blood as a Beatles collector. And I really want, that's what I still don't have. And I don't have it because for some reason it was left out of the bag. I don't know why. When I got home, I, it wasn't, I paid for it, but it wasn't there. So uh, it wasn't in there when I got home. So I left, somehow it got left at the store. I bagged everything up. So rather than that, I'm very happy. So you bought the record, but you don't own the record. Correct. All right. Now I feel a bit better. <laughs> and that one's just that's that's purely for the cover, the candle cover with the one yeah. um, candle burned out, supposedly dead. 
which and which I think is so it, funny because the stuff is all the Tony Sheridan Polydor stuff. But yeah, stuff recycled a million times, and it just kind of. I, I don't even know if it was a coincidence, because I think it came out before the Paula's Dead rumor really took off. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know the issue. You went up on me there. I know that uh, I personally have a, a, a nice feeling about that cover, because I think it's in the Nicholas Schaffner book, The Beatles Forever, maybe, where I first saw that. I don't know. It's some book. It might have been Schaffner's Beatles Forever. Yeah. I saw that. And I was like, oh, that's such a cool cover. And I always stuck in my psyche and I always wanted to get it. I want to ask you, what, what's your favorite Beatle book that isn't written by one of your co-hosts? Okay. I it it could be go... one written by one of your co-hosts. I'll, I'll lift okay. that ban. Okay, well, it's not. So don't worry about it. <laughs> no, it's not. Hear but that, Ken? My... <laughs> My, I'm, who knows? But I'm looking forward to uh, the new Ken Womack book on John Lennon. So am I. But uh, I, it has to be right now. Tune in, Mark Lewis. Well, that's just the book. peak. I think that's probably the most significant Beatle book ever written. But you know, it's that it's that book as far as the the, the great biography of the of the. Um, if you want to talk about reference books, there's there's so many things. I mean, nostalgia. You could talk about all together now. The, the Wally the Brazic book mm -hmm. and, and Castleman. Um, that's what, probably one of the first yeah. books I ever got, and I still have. And stuff like after this, uh, go uh, listen to my episode with Wally, everybody. Wally, hey, great. Hello, Wally. <laughs> and also, we all know he's listening. Everyone's listening. Um, the, I'll go for the Beatles and Illustrated Record, but this is all that, that's the nostalgia stuff, early mm -hmm. books um, that I got. But as far as sources, Mark Lewison to me is the man. Uh, of course, and I just love his books, all, all those uh, recordings, the recording sessions, book, anything like that. Uh, Bruce Spizer has such good stuff out. You know, now these days it's funny. Uh, in addition to once we get past talking how great tune in is by as a biography by Lewison. I start getting into stuff like, you know, uh, books about more looking up material, looking up rarities, you know, resources like that. You know, like we're talking about Bruce Spicer and uh, Harry Cox books. And I want to get that NEMS book, which uh, I, like, Terry Cranes, uh, Terry Crane. Yeah. I don't, I know. I, Did and you now catch I'm his panel at the fest? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh. It was it was good. Oh, I'm sorry. I well, it wasn't it was... as good as the talk talk panel. Oh well, you know, thanks for lying. <laughs> but uh, I'm uh, legally obligated to plug talk more talk. I, I'll, talk more I'll, talk. I'll plug more plug. Yes, talk more talk for those of you that are interested in solo Beatles and want to see a lot of stuff about them. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, what do the Beatles mean to you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, this is a hard question to answer. It's a little bit well, abstract. It, it starts with the music. The music is always uh, exciting. For the most part, happy. Um, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, there could be stuff like, you know, One for Your Life or something like that. Or Helter Skelter or Revolution. Uh, but Helter Skelter is just about it, a slide, though. 
Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, it's true. I don't yeah. really just the the rockingness of the way it rocks. Heavy. Heavy. Well, of also the Manson connection that kind of happens. Yeah, I don't think about that. I mean, I know I know people do, but I don't really think about it much. To be honest with yeah. you. Uh, but once you get past the music, it's just the fact that the four people. It's not just the music. Music's great. Period. But. Then you have the four individuals with their personalities, something for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know their personality traits, no differences, no no need to go over no. them. But there's something for everybody, and they're so well blended. And then it's more than just the music for me, although it starts with that, because it goes into uh, just these guys that change the face of music, change the world in a lot of ways, and still are influencing young people like yourself and younger and they, this stuff doesn't die down. No. There's still interest. The Beatles were just light years ahead of everyone. Like, whoever is number two in relation to, like, the best bands of all time, light years behind the Beatles. It's mm. Their story is so extraordinary that it's almost hard to believe sometimes. I'm glad you said that too. That's it. The, the story too. I'm fascinated by this the story of, of, of the Beatles from the beginning and how things kind of went their way. I, I you know I really believe, and this is gets, I made a video on this, and I'm not the most religious guy in the world. I happen to be a, a believer, I'm spiritual, but I'm not the biggest religious guy. However, I do believe that the Beatles were put here. For, for a reason, like it was meant to happen, particularly because after what happened to Kennedy and the depression in America and all this kind of stuff, it's not just about America. I understand. Yeah. I'm going from my perspective. It just, it, it never happened to this extreme again. The world needed a shot in the arm. And I really believe it was almost uh, like magic in a way. Yeah. Because the with the Beatles came out on the same day as the Kennedy assassination, oh, and then within two months, they were invading the shores of America, and right. you know lifting up the spirits. Yeah, and the people sometimes who don't care that much for the Beatles, if you don't, you better go see a doctor as soon as possible, take pills, and get plenty of rest. Yeah, but. <laughs> Those people that don't think much of the Beatles They're not say, as well, good as the, the Stones. Oh, the Stones. Oh, I love the Stones, by the way. I yeah. Do. But, they're um, just... They're Stone, not the Beatles. The Stones are... They're, they're the polar opposite of the Beatles, which is good. But also, they're, they're baby brothers, I always call them. They're like... They're the, the New York Mets to the New York Yankees. Oh. And I, I say I say that as a person who hates the Yankees. I'm a Mets fan. But I'm trying to be... <laughs> but... Uh, I lost some track of what I was saying. I got the mistake of, um, or I had the mistake of getting oh, it. Oh, yes. Oh, sorry. I, I'm sorry, because I was I was off track. Um, the whole thing about it is when it comes to the Beatles and people who are naysayers, they say, it's just their timing. It was all, if it wasn't for the timing, it's all timing. Well, look, and the look, it was, and some people say it was marketing. It was the look, you know, then the, the long hair for then and the collarless suits and the timing. I'm saying, look, that might have worked in 63 or 64. We're not in 63 or 64 anymore, right? So we're not sitting here saying the Beatles are so, they're so great because their timing's right. Mm-hmm. It's no longer 1964. No. Uh, you know, we can't say, well, it's the it's that hairstyle of putting bass in the haircut. Oh, Mo Howard of the Three Stooges. Uh, 
There's a reason <laughs> why the Beatles because... still top the album charts. Yes, Even that's what I'm getting day. to. So it's the music. Yeah. The music speaks for itself, right, Ethan? That's what it is. I mean, sure, that's the whole overall look back then and everything. But, and, the, you know, the Englishness, you know, the British uh, feel for the for uh, the Americans. But the reason, like you said, that it's, that's what I'm coming down to. We're coming around the turn. The music is what ultimately prevails. It's about the music. So the timing, hey, oh, believe me. I am a firm believer that the timing was crucial. It was. No doubt about it. I was just going to say this because you brought up uh, the Mets and the Yankees. I made a mistake once when I was in uh, Greenwich Village because our Blue Jays were in Manhattan playing, I think it was the Mets, and the person at the record store I was at brought that up. And I made the mistake of defending the Blue Jays. And I was almost <laughs> chased out of the store. Oh my, well, like, you made it alive. Yeah, mostly. There's a reason why I only have one arm. Again, don't fact check that. Oh no. I've seen that recently, I've seen, I've seen you, you, don't, you have both arms. <laughs> so, I want to ask, I was just uh, thinking... Uh, because you, you've talked on your channel before about meeting uh, Paul, Yoko, Linda. Could you tell us a little bit more about those experiences? Okay, well, I'll start with, uh, I guess, the women first. Uh, I met Yoko, well, met, you know, come on. I went to the Dakota in 1994 with a friend, two days in a row. Both days, we were, Yoko was there. Uh, the weather was fairly nice. She came, she came out. It was a small amount of fans there, maybe six, seven people. Mm-hmm. She couldn't have been sweeter, just happier, smiling. She took photos with us. She signed autographs for us. She did this two days in a row. Um, so I had a good experience with Yoko. Um, when it comes to, I'll, I'll mention a Ringo story. Unfortunately, also I kind of was, was kind of close to, to Ringo physically, but it didn't work out. I went to, in 1995. Um, he had he, he had done the Phil Donahue show, and I went to a hotel where just waiting outside in the hopes of maybe you know getting a photo or anything autograph. <laughs> and I hate to say, but you know Ringo kind of just like came in mumbling, brushing past the crowd like that. He went in, and I'm like, well, yeah. I saw him talk to the doorman when he got inside the limousine. I said, I said to the doorman after, I said, what did he What did he say to you? And he said, well, how do you expect me to, to do anything when they mobbed me? Nobody was, nobody mobbed him. But I guess it wasn't his day. Peace and love. It wasn't his day. So that was my little Ringo story. Then, I mean, what else Linda, do you expect from the man who made an entire video like, this is a serious message to everybody watching my update. No more autographs. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. What can you What can you say? I have my feelings on that. It, it's one of my favorite videos of all time. <laughs> yeah, I have my feelings. On, I'm on, warning on you with peace and it. love. It's a shame, I think, that uh, because of some unscrupulous dealers and such that just wanted sell things on eBay and want to make a profit that 
the good people like us that just really, really want to meet the person and get an autograph for themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not going to sell. You have to be lumped in with them in the minds of the celebrities. That's a shame. Yeah. Um, but and then I always say, even if a dealer is going to sell an autograph at the end, it winds up in the hands of some poor soul who couldn't, who really values it and couldn't get it anyway mm-hmm. on their own. So it's a, you know, cause. But but nobody really likes being exploited. So I get. That. Yeah. But has there ever been um, a person wanna... in history who said, "Man, you know what I'd love being exploited"? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have a different look of it, but again, this is a what is it going down a rabbit hole because a lot of people get on me and say, "Oh, you know, yeah, what if you've been doing this for fifty years? Well, you know, you don't you think you get tired of?" I'm like, "Look, I work my butt off every day." You know what I mean? I mean, I we all have hardships to bear, and some things go with, go with the territory. Sometimes. Although with with Ringo and you know Paul and George when he was still alive. I, I could get being weary of fans and not doing things like that because, yeah. well, you, you just have to look at what happened to John. Yeah, and that, that, that really stinks that that idiot, you know, really wrecked it even for the, you know, the rest of us, too. Yeah. But I guess that'll bring us to uh, Paul and Linda. Um, in 1993... Paul was doing, in February, it was really very cold, very cold winter time, and Paul was doing Saturday Night Live. <laughs> and uh, I got to find out what his hotel was from uh, mutual friends, and we waited there, and it was a thrill to see Paul come in and out. I mean, he, he, he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, he would say, good morning, everybody, hello, and he'd come out of the hotel, and there'd be police, police barricades on either side of the entrance, so, you know, you just wait by the behind the barricade and understandable mm-hmm. and he'd come out and he'd go into the limousine and go for a jog and he'd come back and we'd snap pictures you know and he'd come back well, hello again good morning and go back into the hotel he'd be in there for two or three hours <laughs> you know we're, know we're out there in the freezing cold and he'd come out again change your clothes maybe go to lunch or rehearsal uh, hello and he said it again and every time we'd be everybody'd be like please paul paul paul, paul autograph please and he wouldn't he wouldn't sign now i mean I, I understand too this is in new york city so i don't know if that's part of it in his mind but of course i've seen him when when he's in better moods maybe and you know he's signed in new york you've seen maybe the, the documentary the love we make mm-hmm. where he's walking around manhattan i mean yeah so it depends but anyway to make this story a little shorter um i i did i did this two days or so not consecutively obviously i went home but, uh during the course of this I, I got two times i got to see linda again i can't i cannot say enough about it. everybody has good stuff nothing but good stuff to say about linda so nice so accommodating so sweet she posed for a photo she signed an autograph she was just so good and uh then uh paul kept playing what i would call the cat and mouse game and you know my famous story that some people have heard and some haven't heard. I thought during these trips in and out of the hotel during the course of the day or two, I said, I have to, what can I say? You know, So I said to him without thinking, when, on one of these trips, he came to get into the limousine. I said to him, oh, please, I came all the way from Canada. 
And then he stopped as he, to get in the limousine, turned him, and he said, did you? And I thought, oh, he's impressed. And he says, I came all the way from England. <laughs> and, and he just dissed me. He went and got into the car. And I, we had a laugh about that. And uh, my uh, ex-wife at the time, she snapped a picture of him doing that, you know, talk, looking at me and talking. <laughs> but I got some people say, no, that's cool. You actually got... The, the beetle humor, you know, false uh, <laughs> acknowledge you. So that's that's my story of that one. Um, and of course, there's another story uh, two years later in '95. Eh, that's not gone into, I don't think. Unless uh, is this I the MTV thing? Uh, oh, I, no, that's something else. That was in '92. That was before. That. That's when I won tickets to see Paul up close and MTV up close at the Ed Sullivan Theater. It was, it was, that was another thing that I was happy with. Only time in my life I won radio tickets, a radio program, being the 25th caller or whatever it was. And I got tickets to see him at the, at the recording of the MTV Up Close in 1992. <laughs> at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Ed Sullivan Theater, yeah. And um, I can see myself, I tell everybody, I even made a video about this too, where I show the footage. It, it, it was over. It was over two day, two nights. It was recorded. Luckily, mine was the first night. I believe December, December tenth, is the the illegitimate copy that everybody sees floating around right now. Uh, it happens to be, fortunately, the one that I'm at. Um, and back then, I was like real thin. I have long dark hair. I was wearing a black leather jacket. I didn't put two and two together back then. That was a false thing <laughs> leather jacket so it's hard for me I kind of mix a blend in in the front with the uh, crowd against the stage but I was about six seven feet away from Paul oh wow uh, oh you didn't know this yet oh I no I knew one. this but it's it's still really cool <laughs> okay yeah and I, I remember one thing that I didn't know you were that close oh yeah I, I, the show's called up close it was weird because in a good way, because when I got the tickets, somebody had written on the back of them with a magic marker the word floor, F-L-O-O-R. And I thought, well, I guess I'm going to get a good floor seat anyway. That's a good, got to be a good seat. But it turned out by floor, they meant you got to stand the area between the seats and the stage. And they wanted all the people, if they could, they said with darker clothes on, which I had. I was wearing black my uh, ex-wife, I said, she's my fiance at the time. We all wearing black, so they wanted us up. They, they told us where they wanted us. I guess not to detract visually from the stars. You know, they didn't want too many bright colors up front. Although one guy with a white shirt is there. But <laughs> anyway, but when I watched that video, I could, I could, if we were watching it at home, I could see. I put my finger on the screen. See that? There I am. There I am. You know. But it's not like it's going to leap out at you. Although in my particular video that I made some time ago, I think it's called When I Got Up Close to Paul McCartney, something like that. I can show, I show it on the video, so it's easy to see. And that's probably my biggest achievement as a fan, you know, getting that close. And, I, and, what, and what I remember the most is seeing the fillings in Paul's teeth. What? On certain times he would sing and open his mouth. I would see the fill. That's how close I could see. Although my eyes were better than I hadn't gotten Was glasses. it you were that close or did he just have a really bad yeah. dentist? <laughs> no, I think I was really that close. 
Oh, Th that is, that is something I cannot say I have experienced. I I've seen yeah, beetles I, I, fill it. Very lucky. <laughs> yeah, you haven't lived until you've seen a filling. I want to ask you some quick fire questions. Oh. What is your favorite Beatles song today? Well, I'm going to tell you of all time. She loves you. I I said today because you know some people have a hard time picking but that that just makes it better why why she loves you well i think that's one of the first i remember hearing as as a child and i think i i prefer the early beatles i love all the beatles but my favorite period is the earlier beatles and that just summarizes beatlemania the, the hysteria the excitement the energy rock rock yeah yeah yes the woos all that kind of stuff and i think to this day when you're in a car or somewhere, you hear the opening from of She Loves yeah. You. All the energy and excitement and thrill for that ride, like a roller coaster ride, is there. Just like it always was. And uh, that's probably why. Now, the, we kind of tried doing a show one other time. And um, when my microphone, the old microphone I had, wasn't working so well. But... I remember at that time, I was like, no, I don't want to reveal what my favorite song is because I'm going to make a video on, on it someday. And I, subsequently, I have made a video. Mm -hmm. So it's not... It's, Go it's, watch it's that video, safe. everyone. It's safe to reveal. Yeah. The, the good thing about having done the episode kind of before is I don't have to do any new artwork. Oh, that's yeah. true. Because I, I, I'll admit this. I won't say who it was for yet but I, I spent the other day about seven hours hand drawing artwork in photoshop well i do i do know what the artwork is you're going to use for this video yeah. and i do i do love it i'm not saying that just to make you feel good i do thank you and, but i said gee I wish the screen was bigger, though, so you could see my faces. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's what my uh, Instagram page is for. I post all the oh, I post I all the proper full size stuff there. But that is a excuse. It's a word I don't use very often. But that is an awesome cover. Thank you. I take it. Uh, well, I don't know if Beatles sixty five is your favorite, but I guess we're going to find out. What is your favorite Beatles album? My favorite Beatles album of all time is. Capital Beatles second album. Okay, that's out of all the Capital albums, I think that's my favorite. Because yeah, it doesn't matter whether it was like, oh, it's a butchered Capital album. It's it's just a good rock and roll record. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. It, it, it all cylinders really a, <laughs> a really powerful, strong uh, you know, rock, rock and, record. And you know, I don't even mind the uh, because this is. This is something that I feel like we kind of have in common. My first exposure to those early Beatles tracks were through those duophonic 60s mixes. Because mm -hmm. I think my mom had a copy on a, on our computer of the first Capitol album CD set. So I remember listening to the Beatles' second album in that fake stereo. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I even love the fake stereo mixes. Yeah, well, it's a crazy thing about those Capital Reverb albums and things with me because when I was starting out, I didn't really, being a collector, I thought, no, gee, I, I, I want to hear the original British recording, you know, pressings. 
And for a while, I was able to get a lot of Japanese imports, which I think is still some of the best sounding Japanese clarity. Uh, very clean, very clear. But now I'm finding after I turned around to that, I mean, I've been listening to the clean versions, I'll call the really clean as intended UK versions I, from like, oh, I don't know when I started getting those in like 78 or 9. I'm very, I actually, since then, all the way up through the compact discs when they first came out in 87, the point I'm getting to is I don't know why. But now I'm like, no, I want the Capitals. Yeah. I really, really do. I mean, as great as the originals were sounded, as I realize that's the way they were intended, I don't think it's it's all nostalgia on my part for wanting the Capitol U.S. albums. I made videos on this, too, promoting these videos. Yeah. But we're talking about a lot of videos yeah. I've done. Uh, so, but I'll always reach for those now. I, I think in some cases, even though the Beatles didn't intend them that way, I think the sequencing... It's amazing having I want to hold your hand, start off a record, and then followed by a sort of standing there, I'll meet the Beatles, and so on and so on. And this boy, and uh, and the order they put them in, the Beatles may not have intended them that way, but I think Rubber Soul, the only way to hear Rubber Soul for me is still uh, with an opening of I've Just Seen a Face. That That's where we're going to disagree. It, it, it still feels weird putting on the American album. And having it start with that and not drive my car. Oh, that's perfectly fair because, you know, it depends what you're used yeah. to. Um, I, I was used to Rubber Soul US, of course. So it was weird to this day, even though I've been used to it now for quite a number of years, to hear drive my car open it up. Um, it's funny how that works. But that's yeah, almost it, a reverse of what the British did. Um, because, you know, they... Well, it wasn't a single in England, though. My point has been made null before I've made it. I was going to say, well, Drive My Car was a single, but they didn't put it on the album. But then, no. but it wasn't a single in England. Right. And a lot of people, look, I'm the first one to say that the Revolver album in the U.S. is no match for the U U.K., well, obviously. There's no resequencing involved with that. It's just... They're taking right. away songs. But as far as taking away John songs, but the whole thing is people keep forgetting. And it may still not matter to them. Of course, um, you can't defend U.S. Revolver on its own, as its own entity, because it's just missing some crucial stuff. <laughs> but when you consider that yesterday and today came first, we had actually, ahead of, of the Brits, um, had... had uh, those songs, the ones that were on. Although, to be fair, with um, those yesterday and today mixes, from what I've read, they were incomplete because Capital wanted to put another album together. So they went to EMI in England and it's like, hey, we're putting out a new Beatle album. Send us whatever stuff they've recorded. And so they yeah. sent them George Martin's rough mixes. Yeah, interesting, right? And I remember, like, one of the biggest revelations, though, as much as I defend these albums, Capital albums, I remember listening to say I'm only sleeping off yesterday and today for, and thinking, oh, this sounds so muddy. It just doesn't sound good. And then when I got to hear I'm only sleeping as it was supposed to be, it was like, wow, this sounds so much better. In that case, you know, there's some cases, of course. But to this day, I'll defend, and it wasn't always the case, Ethan, I'm defending it now, but not always the case that I defend it. And that's I feel fine, and she's a woman with the capital reverb on it. 
I prefer those. I just think they sound so much rockier and tougher. To me, I, I don't hear it that way. I feel like they just sound like someone was recording a transistor radio in a cave. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I see what you I but, can see that. I mean, that's how I felt for many years. When it comes to the Beatles in terms of like, you know, levels of high fidelity, you can have all the 5.1 mixes you want. You can have all the really clear stereo remasters. Some of the Beatles stuff just sounds, in my opinion better on shitty 45s or through am radio like to me paperback writer you know if you listen to that original capital 45 it sounds awesome it yeah it's it's funny how that is but it, it's true yeah there's certain things that they sound really good like that you listen to a certain single <laughs> certain mix uh Sometimes the more primitive, the better. It's funny. It's funny how that Although is. that yeah, I, I feel that. fine mix, I find really funny because, you know, the original recording was pretty much drenched in reverb anyways with the American market in mind. And then ah. Dave Dexter Jr. Uh, added more reverb because why not? A, a lot of people don't know, and I found this out fairly late in life, I think, that uh, George Martin actually did those, I believe. Those yeah. Two, the US. Well, I don't think he did the U.S. versions, because I know the versions that were sent over already had a lot of reverb, but Capital in the States added even more reverb on top of that. Well, you might, who knows? I might be learning something even yeah. newer. I don't know. I'm not sure. that We'll have to check that. Again, don't but, uh, check me. Martin. <laughs> Yeah, I thought Martin was was responsible for that, which is kind of gives a little more legitimacy. But <laughs> trying to save a little face there, but no, I really I don't know why. If you would have told told me in 1980 that I would prefer the Beatles '65 versions of "I Feel Fine" and "She's a Woman," I would say no way, because I've gotten to love the clean version. But now these sound almost too clean, too sterile, yeah. too. Well, that, that's what really you know, sucked UK. about those Capitol CDs from a couple years ago. I say a couple. It was like, what, six? Yeah, that box where it was just, you know, the 2009 mixes, but just shuffled yeah. to be in the same sequence as the American ones. Yeah, yeah. What I did actually was, uh, I don't, as a collector, I don't usually mess, like, change, take things and switch them up. But I decided to eat buy that 2014 box and then take the superior sleeves and things from there take the discs from the 2004 sets and interchange and put them in with the to have a cool box and a new sleeves for 2014 but the old discs of the capital 2004 i believe um where they retained the capital sound it's i feel like that was just really lazy on the beatles part yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't go for that. And one of the one of the things before I forget that I like so much about the Beatles' second album too is, and I grew up with this version first. I cannot listen to "Thank You, Girl," the original UK, without the harmonica uh, in it at the end, and without the harmonica echoing the phrases "Way that you do," with with the harmonica flourish, uh, "Good to be true," and the harmonica. Flourish. How how in the world did they not have that? In the UK. I, I thought it was just... I didn't know it was a UK thing. I thought it was just... I think it was the stereo mix 
didn't have the harmonica, well, but the mono mix did. Neither, I don't know because neither one of them on, on Beatles' second album, I don't believe, have uh, is bare. You don't have a bare one on the stereo nor the mono. In, on Beatles yeah. Well, Both if it was have, even I'm in missing. true stereo at all, oh, well, it could yeah. have just been rechanneled Check. capital. Put all the bass in one side, put all the treble in the other. Boom, there you go. But, I mean, that's, bada that's, bing, bada that's boom, you got stereo. Yeah, right. Stereo. That, that's the most glaring example I can think. I mean, there's probably there are probably others, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's the one I'm like, I cannot listen to Thank You Girl with that. Like, it seems like somebody turned, when I listen to the UK, this single or you know, anywhere yeah. else. It, it doesn't like, sound it right like, without the harmonica. Yeah, well, to me, same with From Me to You. One of the mixes right. doesn't have the harmonica, so you just hear them saying like da 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 dum dum instead of like woo 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 Fans on the run, the show where the host makes an ass out of himself by making <laughs> his own karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> so now is my favorite part of the show. We got to plug even more. What do you want to plug, Joe? Okay, what do I want to plug? Well, I don't have to plug this here because they're, they're listening yeah, to this. Th that's that's one of the um, beauties about having you on the show. You don't have to plug the show. Yes. Well, the main thing you have to know, if you don't already know, is that I have a YouTube channel. Right? The YouTube channel is called Mean Mr. Say Mayo. it one more time for the audience. Uh, <laughs> mean, mean Mr. Mayo. And just Mayo. in case you didn't hear those Obviously. two times, it's Mean Mr. Mayo. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, as, as we've discussed earlier a little bit, I have another uh, show that I do called Talk More Talk. Chat More which Chat. Which is a, a song, Chat More Chat. The Talk More Talk comes from a, a song of uh, McCartney's Press to Play solo album. I was album. listening to that album and earlier I'm, today to give it another shot. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, you know, I let Ken Michaels blow over that one. It's not a favorite of mine. I, I don't mind it. But... It, oh, it's, really? I, I like it better than I like give my regards to Broad Street, which again talking oh, about not having a, a particularly high bar for things. Yeah, well, uh, I'll I'll take Broad Street. I think really. Oh yes, <laughs> not such a bad boy. No values. Uh, those, those I mean, give or lo oh. no more lonely nights is, I think as no good more lonely as, nights. I forgot about. I that. think it's Jeez, as good I as anything he's that. ever done. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's so, that's a talk lie. more talk. I wanted to give uh, credit to Ken Michaels and uh, Kid O'Toole and Tom Hanyadi and Ken Womack, who is sometimes on the show, sometimes <laughs> not, but he's officially one yeah. of us. So. One one of two Kens. One of two Kens. I I always think we should go Ken or Ken Michaels and Kenneth. Yeah. For. Or, or call Ken, him Doctor Kenneth. Doctor Kenneth. Yeah. Ken or, or say like Ken PhD. Because he has a PhD, <laughs> I think. Fudge. Yeah. <laughs> he's a he's a smarty pants. He he's good people, as he would say. Or as he would say about other people, I'm saying about him. He's good people. What's the name of your YouTube channel again? Oh no no. I wouldn't bore anybody else. Me, Mr. Mayo. Go go search it up. Join the club. Join yeah. the club. Please subscribe. And, you know, I do, of course, Beatles-related stuff, but I also talk about 
other other things regarding music. Oh, you're also a movie uh, vinyl buff. collections. I'm a movie buff, uh, but I also I have another channel. Actually, that just, is right. The movies. I, it's a separate channel called Mayo's Movies. I gotta think of a better title. It's, it's a good title. Now that's what it is. And, of course, uh, I do flea market finds. People like me going to flea markets. And, of course, the famous record store videos where I go into my record store and I uh, hang out with the guys and shop with the guys. What can you tell us about the, the cast of characters? Uh, what, uh, what's his he, name now? <laughs> he, he was Getty Joe. Now he's Bazooka yeah. Joe. Yeah. Well... Yeah, Getty Joe was Getty. He was Getty. The owner of the store was Getty Joe, patterned after Getty Lee because he from Rush because he looks like Getty Lee when he had very long yeah. hair. But he got his hair cut, and one of the people who uh, customers at the store said, "Now he looks like Bazooka Joe from the old Bubblegum card series." And I, I said, "Okay, that's that's good enough for me." So we use that. And then, of course, you know who I'm going to talk about? We have the person Everyone, known as everyone's Don. favorite. Yeah, fan favorite Don. He's a homeless man, but not like your typical homeless guy. I mean, he's really he's really on the ball. He's uh, you know uh, sharp as a razor. He's always having fun with us, and he loves being homeless by choice. I mean, I don't know if he loves it, but he sure seems like he does. He's chosen this path for years, and he likes being in the videos. So we have his uh, adventures in between buying records, uh, between. Shopping and browsing and other music-related stuff. And then there's the other the other reoccurring ones, like Julio and Richie. Oh, yeah, my friends, Julio and Richie. They're, they're, you know, they're really good at... They know a lot of stuff with music, especially Julio. And I keep telling him, man, Julio, you got to do a, a channel of your own on YouTube somewhere because he's always teaching me things. Like, just the other day, like, I, I love the song Indian Reservation that was made... Uh, popular by the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, and I had no idea. There were like at least two other versions for that, or if not three. And he pointed me in the direction of them. Uh, and now the names escape me. The other ones. But I, I did like one of them. Quite a bit. I, I think it was uh, Julio who, in some video at a record fair, he held up, you know, he was showing what he got, and he held up a Small Faces record. And I'm a big Small Faces fan, so he immediately earned my respect. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, he knows a lot of stuff. And I kid him around because I say, Julio, stop. You're ruining these songs for me. There's so many songs that I thought, oh, I thought this was by this artist. And, and, and you know, they did not the original. It's the fourth version. <laughs> so, Joe, thank, thank you so much for coming on again. But oh. thanks for coming on. No, no, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad to be here for you having me. Thank and your you. audio sounds crystal clear. I hope so. I really do. I hope that I got a new headset. <laughs> Last time didn't work out so well. I didn't. You know, I'll I'll even make my audio sound worse. Oh, I'm going to be able to hear you asking the questions. Yeah. No, I'll just make it sound muffled. <laughs> so anyways, thanks for coming on. Everyone else out there listening, thank you for listening. You can go home now. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.